Well, you can have a seat. Uh, and good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here for our Anderson College uh, ministry. And man, I just want to welcome you to Grace. If you are new here, I mean, we are so glad that you've joined us today. It's going to be a little bit weird. It's a little different uh, that you've, but whatever. Great. Uh, welcome. Uh, we essentially this morning are going to spend some time looking at God's Word, and then we're going to end our time hearing uh, from an experience of one of my staff members who would love to just share with us a little bit about his life and a little about a little bit about how he's seen some of these principles that we're about to unpack uh, play out in his own personal experience. Uh, I'll tell you, if you're new, uh, we are so glad that you're here, and we would love to see you at the end of this service. At the back, we'll have a table set up uh, where you can come, and we would just love to hand you a gift, and we would love to have a conversation about w- how we can help you uh, maybe find your place here at Grace. If that's something that you're looking for, man, we, we want to make the next steps incredibly clear. Uh, our desire uh, moving forward in this series is that we would continue to have uh, just softened hearts and open minds to, to hear what God has to tell us about our sexuality. Right? We've been in this two weeks. We've got today and we've got next week. We've got four weeks total where essentially we are starting a conversation about the way that God has designed us. Right? God designed us as multifaceted beings. We we're physical, we're emotional, we're spiritual, and he designed us with a sexual desire, sexual nature. And so when we uh, look at what God created us to be, when we ask ourselves, I mean, where does God want us to go? I think our sexuality has to be within that conversation. It has to be within that question. And so that's why I wanted to step into this series. We wanted to step in and really examine, okay, well, what is God's ultimate design for our sexuality? And what distortions maybe have appeared in this world that have fogged our view of what is true, of what is good? Uh, and then ultimately, what's the redemption that we can all experience in Jesus Christ? Right? And this is an enormous topic that we can't cover in the next 30 minutes, uh, or even 40 if I go long again like I did last service. Oops, sorry, if you were waiting outside. Uh, but we have this huge conversation that we would love to just start, and we can continue beyond Sundays. And so I would encourage you, man, it, because it's such an enormous topic, come back next week. We're wrapping everything up. Be here. We would love to see you, and we would love to continue just to unpack God's Word and His truth about this subject. Uh, we also would love to hear from you. You can always send us a text. Uh, we have a number available anytime, any day. Man, just reach out if you want to let us know uh, that you have a question or, or concern or whatever it might be. Man, you can reach us via this number. Even if you just want to send us like a, a little heart on Valentine's Day. You're like, you know what? You guys are uh, great. I don't know. I was trying to think of something with heart. Heartful? I don't know, I have the flu. All right, so uh, we, we would love to hear from you via that way. You also uh, can send me just an email. I would love to hear from you directly. Uh, you can email me at uh, jacobsmithgracedustbible.org. Man, you can, uh, if you have any questions, any concerns, any, anything you want to continue this conversation. I've been getting your emails for the past couple weeks, and I love it. And I, I would love to get more. I would love to continue talking. Uh, and I would encourage you uh, that as we continue to gather together and talk together and examine Scripture together, that you would also be pursuing this on your own. And that's why a few weeks ago, uh, we launched a reading plan connected with this series uh, through the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have a Bible app on your phone, it's probably this one. Uh, if it's not, I, I would recommend this. Uh, it's a great resource with all kinds of translations, uh, reading plans, devotionals. And so we used this app uh, to put out basically a reading plan that's in step with our sermon series, that's kind of in line with the same uh, themes and ideas. It goes a little bit deeper into the Lord's Word uh, for you to study individually. So if that's something that you uh, would like to do to kind of just continue 
to hear from the Lord on a lot of different levels, maybe on a daily basis. Uh, man, I would encourage you, go, go through this app. Uh, you can search plans. You can search for sex. And we're, we used to be number one. We lost it to stinking other Christians. Uh, but we, we are still, we're like top 10 or I don't know. You, it's not even ranked based on how many people use it. It's just whatever. So you, it's in there though. Or you can search Grace College and it shows up like right at the top. But uh, we would love, again, just to equip you and encourage you as we move forward in this uh, topic because uh, we recognize that, you know, throughout this series, our sexual desires can conflict with God's design. Right? That, that's just the truth. Uh, that we will find ourselves feeling one way, attracted one way, desiring something that ultimately is against the design that God created, that he lays out in Scripture. Because in his word, he has created limits for our lives, including our sexuality. And he's done this in a loving way. That's what we're really looking at this morning, is why did God create these limits? And I'll tell you right now, spoiler alert, it's because he loves you. It's because he cares about you. It's because he knows that if we live lives without limits— that ultimately, that's always going to lead us to regret. Chocolate thingies, man. They get you. They get you every time. And we found ourselves maybe in points in life, maybe we're in a season right now, where we regret not following certain limitations that maybe we had thought of or maybe that other people had recommended for our lives. Why? Because what happens is we have two options when it comes to limits in our lives. We can either choose them now or they will be chosen for us later, right? I can choose to obey the law as it's written, and enforced by our law you know, enforcement people or whatever. Uh, or I can disregard that limit and I'll go to prison, right? Like, so suddenly that limit will just be enforced on me. It's no longer my choice. Instead, it's chosen for me. It's a very different limit, right? Prison is different than this, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been, but I'm assuming uh, that it's different and probably not as enjoyable of a life. We have limits available to us that we can choose now or they will be chosen for us later. This is why God has created limits for us. This is why he's put them in front of us. This is why his word is filled with wisdom and direction because he wants us to choose the life that's actually best, right? We think that living a life without limits will lead us to contentment when in reality all that leads us to is future constraint. A life without limits leads to future constraints. Unlimited eating right now will constrain, will limit your future health, right? You won't be able to go 
walk up a mountain if you just eat whatever you want for 40 years. That's just not the way it works. Uh, Your unlimited spending will limit your ability to make investments or make purchases in your future. Unlimited Netflix and leisure right now will limit your future opportunities for relationships or for maybe even jobs because your grades are bad, but you know everything about Parks and Rec. But that's not a job yet. Maybe, right, make it one. But we see this play out, this truth, that ultimately there's wisdom in limitations because a current limit actually leads us to more freedom in the future, right? Limiting myself now actually creates and leads to future freedom. If I limit my free time now and build in structures for studying, right, for preparing for exams or quizzes or whatever, what's going to happen is that your future is actually more free. Suddenly when you move forward, because of those current limits, you have more opportunities when you're looking at the job market because your, your grades are better. You have less stress in your life because you're not as terrified about the exams coming up because you're better equipped, right? Those present current limits actually set you up and lead you to more freedom in the future. And yet it's hard for us to still put these limits into place, even though maybe we see this and we know this is true, right? Like if I, if I, man, you know, if I want a certain body type, if I manage my eating and my exercise, like I, I can get there. If I want a certain grade, man, if I manage, limit the amount of times I study or, you know, how, when I'm hanging out with friends, like if I, I can get there, right? But, but these disciplines, these limits are hard because they're not natural, by the very nature, limits, uh, they are learned behavior. They're always learned behavior. If you're raised by wolves in, I don't know, where has wolves? Alabama? I don't know. But like if you're raised by wolves in Alabama, you won't have limits. Like that's, that's true. Like in nature, there, just, there aren't, there's no such thing. You're not going to sit down with an elephant and be like, so what are your disciplines right now? Right? Like that's not a thing. It's not a thing you will always be fighting against natural feelings and desires when you create these limits. It's a learned behavior. Uh, and in the same, at the same time, uh, by their nature, a, learn, a, a limit is going to lead you somewhere. They always lead you to some sort of destination in some sort of direction, right? Like handrails on a path, those boundaries or those curbs on the road, they're going to eventually lead you in a certain direction to a particular destination. And so what I want us to recognize this morning is that ultimately... Even though we're going to wrap up our series next week, we're going to be spending time looking at basically God's direction for our sexual desires. This week, what I want us to recognize is that we are starting a step back from that. We're kind of setting up that moment, starting with why did God create these limits? And how do we love people, all people, regardless of whether or not they accept those limits that God has put forward. Right, so when we find this, unpa- or where we find this unpacked is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, if you have it on your phone, I, mean, I would encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because what we're doing is we're just following a train of thought in this passage, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? A letter inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was in Corinth. 
And when he was writing this, basically he's going to flow, he, he follows, it's, it's beautiful. Paul loves logic and he follows this kind of logical flow of thought where he says that it, basically every single one of us has broken the limits that God has put in our lives, that God has offered to us. And yet we have an opportunity as believers, as new creations, to accept those limits. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity. It's a new life. And that even in the midst of all that breaking and the accepting and maybe the repentance that takes he says, irregardless of all of that, as God's people, we are still called to love, we are freed up to love people without limitation. Well, any sort of limit. That God has placed limits on our lives and our behavior, but he's never placed limits on our love. So what we see is Paul essentially speaking into this church that was in a culture that was very kind of amped, just nuts, like way more intense than probably any culture or city or or place, environment that we've ever encountered. Uh, You see, in Corinth, it was an incredibly wealthy city. It was very affluent. It was a a port town. They had all this business and and, and trade, and they had all this uh, uh, culture being created. And so what happened is people became so uh, prideful. They, they just, they loved what they had accomplished. They had done amazing things. And so they, they saw that and they became incredibly self-obsessed. And so in the Corinthian culture, what was just normative, just the, the normal train of thought was that you uh, should just live your life for you, right? That you're the ultimate the kind of center of the universe uh, and that uh, you need to pursue your own pleasure and your own social status above anything else anything or anyone else. That, that's your ultimate goal, that you are chasing wealth, you're chasing uh, connections, you're chasing political standing, right? And it doesn't matter what happens to other people. You will lie, cheat, steal your way to the top of any mountain that you choose, right? Thanks, but no thanks, Aggie Code of Honor. Not signing that anymore, right? If you, if you took that, if you legitimately took that last page of your test and you show it to a Corinthian, you're like, hey, look, this is a thing that I signed. They'd be like, why? Right? It's not, they wouldn't even see that as a noble goal. It's completely foreign to their culture. If they saw that uh, you don't lie to your steel or tolerate those, they'd be like, why? Be like, hullabaloo? I don't know. I'm a farmer or I fight farmers? I don't know. Like, I, and they would push back on you. They would reject the very core of that premise. They would say, no, like, that doesn't make any sense. They'd be like, life is about you and you get what you want. And it doesn't matter what happens to the other people. They worry about themselves. You do, you do your thing. And so Paul is speaking into this, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's writing these words and leads out in this passage, right? It's kind of in the middle of his letter. He leads out with an incredibly stark truth that's hard. It's a hard truth to wrestle with. He says that, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't you realize this truth? Don't be deceived. Don't buy into this lie. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the passive homosexual partners, the practicing homosexuals, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the verbally abusive, and the swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, Paul leads out with this statement. He says, if your life is all about you, if you have a completely self-focused, self-centered, selfish existence, he says, that life is useless for God's purpose. He says, you're missing it. If all of your life is focused on your personal pleasure, right? If you just, if your life is all about this unlimited, no holds bar, like no caution to the wind, all I care about is me and, and building my kingdom. He says, you're missing what God is building. If you're spending all your time building your own personal kingdom, he says, well, yeah, you're going to miss out 
on the Lord's. It's your kingdom versus God's. Which do you want? He says, if you engage, if you walk through, if you live a life that's focused on all these other just sins, right? He just, he thought of, he just put in common, typical for that time, for that culture, typical sinful behaviors that people were stepping into, that people were, were allowing to kind of be their driving force, right? He calls out all these different sins, the, the sexual immorality, he calls out the, the adultery, the idolatry, right? The thieves, the, he, he calls out all these things. And it's not in a particular order. It's not because these are like the worst sins of all. He's just saying, man, these are typical for your culture, for your society, for your lives. He says, if you're living your life focused on these things, just pursuing these things at all costs, says, it's, you're missing what God is building. And here's the clincher. Here's the kicker. He says, and this is where you were. Literally in the Greek, he's, he's not saying all of you did all these things, but he's saying all of you did some of these things. Every single one of you has made these mistakes. In fact, he's going to continue in his letter to talk about the sin that's rampant in the church, right? He's not trying to say that these sins are completely gone, that they're done away with, that they've somehow been conquered by the members of this church, but he's telling them, look, this is something that defined you. This is a path that you were just running down. Every single one of you. It's the first truth that we have to grasp, that we've all broken the limit. On some level, every single one of us, we have, we have sinned against God, meaning we have stepped outside of his will, meaning we have chosen our desires over his. We've all done this. Some limits that, that were very clear, some that were maybe a little bit more murky, a little bit more gray, but, but we've all committed these crimes against the Lord. We've all broken the limits that he's created, right? Sometimes it's not that crazy, Right, but but it's still legitimate. Maybe it's something uh, like being told, like when telling your nephew, I love this. He told my nephew that I'm not allowed to eat popsicles because my sister doesn't want him eating junk. Uh, so then he pulled me into the bathroom and he slammed the door and he whispers, "Shh, I got us both popsicles, but we need to eat them in here so my mom doesn't find out." It's awesome, and I kind of love that. But it's wrong, right? Like that's still sin. Like that is that is you know, rejecting the authority that God has put over his life. It's, it's, it's hard for us, but we have to recognize, you know what, we've all broken the limit, right? Every single one of us, we've seen that sign, forbidding the lounge, and we just do it anyway. And I love it. In Chaco, so he's probably a Christian camp counselor. Uh, but <laughs> he's breaking the limit. Such were some of you. And it has infected not just us, man, it's infected nature. It's, it's the earth itself. Romans 1 tells us that the, the world itself is groaning. It's, it's, it's in this horrific state of rebellion against God, and it's hurting, it's pain, because it's outside of God's will. Things have been broken. Even the birds have no respect for the limitations in their lives. Paul's saying, you've all broken the limit. He says, but here's what's beautiful. Here's where the hope is. Here's what's amazing. It says, but you have an opportunity to accept it anew. You have an opportunity to walk in this life that God has laid out, to follow his desires. Why? Because you were washed. Because you were sanctified. Because you were justified. Because all of these things were made possible in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. 
He says, yeah, man, you're still going to struggle with sin. You're still going to struggle with brokenness. It, it happens. It's still present in the Christian life, 100% for sure. He says, but those things don't have to define you anymore. Those things don't have to control you. He's holding in tension these two realities, that we're all broken, right? that we've all been infested by sin, and yet at the same time, if you've tra- trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've called upon him for, to, to, to save you, then suddenly you are a new creation. You have a new identity. Jesus Christ, because he lived the life that we could not live, because he died the death that we deserve, because he was raised again three days later to prove his power over sin and over death, he says, look, you have an opportunity to not choose these things that are ultimately leading you to destruction. He says, previously you were a child of wrath. Previously you were a slave to your own desires. You had no option, but Jesus has made a new way. When Jesus came, he brought you a new life. He brings a new identity and a new authority. And you can now be a son and daughter of the Lord Most High. And now all of a sudden, you can follow a different path. You can say yes to a different desire. You can follow the authority of God, trusting that it's actually best. Paul's saying you were washed. You were forgiven. You were sanctified. You're being transformed into Christ, into being more and more like him. He says, and you're justified. He says, even in this process, even in, in, in these struggles that are going to continue to pop up, he says, do not forget you're justified. You've been forgiven. You've been declared righteous in front of God. He's not telling the man, clean up your act so that God can love you. He's saying, trust that God loves you enough not to leave you alone not to leave you on your path that's ultimately going to lead you to two destinations you don't want to be in. See, Paul pushes back against common sayings in the culture of that time in two ways. He says, maybe you're telling yourself, well, all things are lawful for me. He says, but not everything's beneficial. Well, all things are lawful for me. Well, but I don't want to be controlled by anything. In other words, he's pushing back on this unlimited culture, on this unlimited life, saying that, look, there are two destinations that you have in front of you. You want to follow this path of no limits? It's great. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in a place that is not beneficial, that is not helpful. You're going to find yourself in a place where you're being dominated. He says, those are the places you're going to go. Unhelpful meaning, he says, you know what? You're going to have these desires and these feelings that feel right, but they're going to lead you to regret. Even though technically you could get away with it, right? No one's going to like bring the hammer. You're not going to get arrested. He says, yeah, you can leave those dishes out on the counter for months. And just every time your roommate walks by, just like stare at him. No one's going to arrest you for that. Your roommate might get arrested when they beat you for it. But you technically can get away with it. But he says, but is that beneficial, right? You're not just asking like, could I do it? You're asking yourself as a believer, is this something that's actually beneficial? Is this helpful? He says, if you're following an unlimited life, you're going to find yourself in positions. You're going to find yourself making decisions that, in a destination where you have regret. A few weeks ago when we started this series, a lot of you were incredibly helpful in, in answering a survey that we put out. And you provided us with amazing, honest, and completely anonymous feedback that has been instrumental in helping shape the direction of the series and helping us recognize what we need to cover and how we need to cover it. It's been amazing, and thank you so much if that was you. 
Uh, and I want to tell you that there were things that came out of that survey. There was feedback that we got that was so encouraging and awesome, and there were other things that broke my heart. And this was one of them. What we found when we asked you about if you had had past sexual experiences, we asked not just like yes or no, but we want to know, okay, so if you've had those sexual experiences, how do you feel about it now? So we gave you options. We said you can say, no, I haven't had sexual experiences. Yes, and I have regret, or yes, and I don't have any regret. And this is what we found. That 52% of you have had some sort of sexual experience. And that through, or 53%, and, and on the other side of it, Right, looking back, twice as many of you who had had that experience regret it than those of you who don't. And I think that should make us pause. I think that's something that's significant. I think that's something that we should take into consideration, really looking at some of the decisions that we make that go outside of the limits that God has put in our lives. Is this going to lead me to regret is this really beneficial? And it's not just that you find yourself in a place that's unhelpful. The other problem that Paul's pointing out is that you can find yourself in a place where you lose your ability to choose or your, your feeling that you, you feel like you can't choose. You feel enslaved and dominated by this thing. Paul says, I don't want to be dominated. I don't want to be controlled. But that's where we wind up in that unlimited life where maybe we have a desire that feels free, but it leads us to a place of actual enslavement. And we saw this play out through through feedback. The very next question was basically asking, well, so are are you currently engaged in sexual activity? And what we found is that, yeah, there's a a portion of us, right, about almost a a fourth of us uh, who are, right, following that path, living in that way, uh, following those desires. And what was so tragic to me, what broke my heart, was that that number means that there are at least some of us who look back on our sexual experience with regret, who are still walking the exact same path. And I think sometimes it's because we feel like we don't have an out. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with couples, looked at relationships, where they just, they, it's toxic, it's horrible, but they've, sex has muddied the water. And they don't see the toxicity, they don't see the detriment, the, the, the disaster that their relationship really is because they've been blinded by sex. Clouds your judgment. Especially when it's, you know, someone, it's like their first sexual partner. I mean, it's just... It's unbelievable. Or maybe it's, I've seen time and time again where where students will continue to have sex with their significant other because they're afraid of losing that person. Because they're afraid, they're like, man, you know, I didn't really want to kind of cross that line to begin with, but I mean, now that we have, like, I can't go back. Like, it's going to hurt him or it's going to hurt her. Like, it's going to be this thing that's going to drive a wedge in our relationship. I mean, we can't give that up, right? We feel enslaved by what's originally felt so free. We find ourselves in these moments, maybe even dehumanizing other people, seeing them as simply means to our end of sexual gratification, right? When we talked about last week, 95% of us see pornography as something that is harmful for at least either the consumer or the creator. And yet 50% of us still use it. Why? 
because we don't feel like there's an out. We feel enslaved. We feel dominated. We don't see our path to redemption. And that's why Paul's speaking into this specific feeling. He's saying, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. He says, by the power of the Spirit of God, by the name of Jesus Christ, he says, you have a new life. You have a new opportunity. He says, you don't have to be owned and, and constrained or, or in bondage to those behaviors. He says, those things don't control you. He says, you have a new opportunity. You have a new chance. He says, you can stand up under a new identity and following a new authority. And in, in that place, he says, man, there's freedom. There's true freedom right there. Because you now have the ability to choose what's actually best. You have the ability to choose what God has put forth. So suddenly those things that held you captive, those things that held you in bondage, he says, those things don't have dominion over you. They can't dominate you. Jesus Christ looked at his followers. He says, you don't have to fear this world because I conquered it. I overcame it. When he died on the cross, he says, man, it's done. I've completed this victory. Sin, death, fear, shame, Addiction, turmoil, man, he says those things, they do not control you. You can stand firm in a new life, on a new path, in a new identity, under a new authority. He says, man, that's within your ability now. Nina! 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 You know. I'm assuming she says I'm a new creation in Christ or something like that. Something along those lines. Those things don't hold power over us. That's why last week, even as we talked about the addictive behavior of pornography, of, of consuming pornography, uh, you know, one of the things that we wish we had put forward, we just didn't think of until uh, this past week, is to give you maybe just some practical steps um, and tips. And so we actually, we put something together. It's a little document, a little Google Doc, um, with a quick little URL right there that you can go to. Uh, I mean, I would just encourage you, if you're fighting that battle, I mean, if you're struggling, uh, feeling dominated by that particular behavior, by that particular sin, I would encourage you, I mean, write this down. Or if you have a friend that you know is struggling, that's, that's looking for, you know, tips, uh, it's not a comprehensive list. It's not even like a, it's not even a step thing. It's just kind of 12 just ideas, things to try. I would encourage you, check it out. Check it out. Because in Christ, we're new creations. In Christ, we have the power to say yes to God and no to our previous desires, to our old self. And we can do this with the confidence that God is going to take us to the best destination. We can do this in confidence, trusting that God has created these limits out of love that lead us to life. This is where Paul lands his argument. 
He quotes the Corinthian culture again, saying food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food, but God will do away with both in the end. And so this is an idea that they would throw around. They'd be like, man, you know, best life now. Like, you do you. Like, we're here today. Who knows about tomorrow, right? YOLO, hashtag YOLO, like Corinth style. Yep, I don't know. That was weird. But we, uh, we see this in their culture, and it, you know, there's elements of this even today, of looking at it. It's like, well, you know, it's all going to be done away with. They're like, right, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat. The stomach is for food. The food is for the stomach. It's all going to go away in the end, so why not? But Paul's going to push back on that. He's going to completely contradict their premise. He's going to say, but the body's not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In other words, he's saying the body's not meant just to follow its own lusts and desires. Why? Because it's for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. He says, now God indeed raised the Lord, and he will raise us by his power. He's saying, look, I'm rejecting the original premise. When we buy into these lies of, uh, of this idea of saying, you know, my sexual desires are always right, and they require expression, we're starting with the wrongful assumption that my body is mine, and that I always know what's best. Paul's pushing back. He says, no, you've been designed for more. You've been designed for more than just your fleeting feelings and desires. He says, and ultimately, God actually knows what's best. And so he's given us these current limits that create for us these future freedoms, right? God has given us limits now because he wants to lead us to true satisfaction, to, to, to the most fulfilling life possible. It doesn't always line up with the world's criteria for what a successful or fulfilling life might look, might be. But we see that Jesus Christ came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose. And when we see that, if we're acknowledging that, if we're trusting in that, then yeah, how could we not trust God with our day-to-day? How could we not trust the limits that he's put in our lives out of love? Paul's saying, man, we, we can trust in this, in the limit that he puts. And what is that limit? Right? And this is where we're going to spend a lot more time next week because uh, we need to move on to our next piece. But um, he, he goes into the next chapter and he, he says, look, some of you guys have asked me, you've, you've thrown out this idea that it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Right? It's this idea that was in the church at the time where people were basically they were swinging the pendulum the opposite direction. Right? So, so if the normal Corinth culture was like, sleep with anybody whenever, whoever, whatever you need, yeah, great. Um, people in the church were like, well, let's, whoo, let's swing that thing over. And they came to this other extreme. They said, well, never have sex with anyone ever. Don't touch them. Which then it's like, well, is, how will there be Christians next generation? Like, that, how does that work? Like, that doesn't, that's how, like, this one, like, subsection of Amish people died out. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, but there, it's a thing. History. History major. Uh, but this is what he says. He says, this is actually a human-created boundary that does not work. It says, and it's, it's the same way that the Pharisees created all these limits for people that were not from the Lord, that were just from them, that they thought were good, that were not, in fact. He says, this is creating more problems. This is creating immoralities among you. He says, there are bigger issues being created because of your foolish attempt at limiting your behavior that are outside of what God's actually said. He says, this is what God actually intends, that each man would have relations with his own wife, that each woman would have relations with her own husband. In other words, Paul is saying, he says, yeah, you know what God's limit is for your sex? He says, you should have sex with your spouse. That's it. You boil it all down, that's the key. Have sex with your spouse. Anything outside of that is adultery. That's why Jesus was able to look at people and say, hey, you know, if you're entertaining the idea of sexual gratification with someone, even just in your mind, says if you, you know, it's not just a fleeting thought, it's not just a temptation that you, you bounce out, says, but you, you let it sit, 
you entertain it, maybe you consider acting on it, he says, you've already committed adultery. You're already stepping outside of the limitation that God has placed in your life. That your sexual expression is meant to take place in the covenant commitment of a marriage. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. But Paul's saying that's, that's the limit, right? And what's, I think, freeing in that is that we recognize that God's ultimate desire, his ultimate end goal for your life is not sexual expression. There's so much more to you than that. Jesus Christ lived a full life on earth, and he didn't have sex. Paul talks about later in Corinthians when he's like, you know what, if you don't want to get married, he's like, great. He never gets married. He lives a full life never having sex. And he recommends it. He's like, you know what, honestly, gives you a lot more time, a lot more free time <laughs> to pursue the Lord. He's like, that's what you should do. You should use that singleness. It's a gift. Sexual expression is not the ultimate goal that God has for your life. And there's going to be some of us that when we walk through life, because of our desires, because of the brokenness of sin in our bodies, what's going to happen is we're going to have affections that we are limited from acting upon. That's true of all of us in, in lots of different seasons, but for some of us, maybe it's going to be a lifelong limitation. And that's okay. Right? Because God has designed us for more. Because he hasn't called us. He hasn't, he hasn't put out in front of us this, this calling to, to be a people who are, who are attracted to another type of person, They're, who, are, who are, have sexual desires, that are heterosexual in nature. God says, I'm not calling you to heterosexuality. He says, I'm calling you to holy sexuality. I'm calling you to pursue holiness with every aspect of your life, including your sexual expression. And so, how do we walk out this limitation in our life? How do we follow it? Paul gives one clear advice. He says, well, you should flee it. Flee sexual immorality. Don't flirt with it. If you're asking questions like, well, how far can we go? Or like if your conversation with your significant other is like, well, where's the loophole? Or can we just sleep together and not do these? You know, maybe we won't like do this kind of stuff, but we'll go to that. Or we have this number system. We'll go to six, but not 12 or, you know, whatever. Like that's, I'm just telling you, if, if, if you're kind of looking for the line because you want to get as close as possible, what's happening is you are flirting with sexuality. You're not fleeing it. And Paul says, you got to flee. You got to run the opposite direction. You've got to see that these limitations are good. They're for your best. But then how do we walk with people who are wrestling with or just completely rejecting the limits God's put on their lives, right? And that, that includes all of us, right? At some point, in different aspects of our lives, whether it's sexual or not, we are all wrestling with or just rejecting for, for a time the, the limitations that God has put on our lives. So how do we love people well in that? Well, I think there's a key truth that we find in, in studying Scripture is that God creates limits for our lives, but He never creates limits for our love. Ever, 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 ever. Jesus Christ had dinners and meals and parties with tax collectors and prostitutes and uh, these people that, that society looked at and they thought, oh, they're the worst of the worst. Their behaviors are horrendous. That's who Jesus hung out with. That's who he spent his time with. Why? Because he says, I- I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a doctor coming to town and I'm going to spend time with the sick. Not with the people who think they've got all the... Right? The reality was everyone was sick, but some people just were in denial about it. He says, I'm not going to waste my time with you because you don't see your need for me. He says, but these other people do. That's why Paul tells 
the church right before he goes into 1 Corinthians 6. He says, look, I gave you advice about, essentially, he goes on to explain, it was about discipline for people in the church that were living in open sin. He says, I, but I didn't mean for you not to hang out with anyone who's immoral, right? He's like, no way did I mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers and the idolaters since you would then have to go out of the world. He says, if you're waiting to hang out with people who are perfect, he says, you will be alone forever. He says, if you want to go hang out in that circle, if that's the circle you're aiming for, he says, you, you, you have nowhere to go. He says, that's bonkers. He says, and if you're walking through life with that goal, what's going to happen is you're going to dehumanize people and you're going to reduce them down to behavior. He says, and that's completely unfair. Why? Because there's three truths that we see in Scripture. It's that every single person on this earth, they have value. And that every single person in this world has been broken by sin. And because of that, every single person needs Jesus Christ. He died so that they could live. Every single one of us. And so Paul is saying, man, you got to walk forward with, a, with, with love, pointing people to their belief in Jesus Christ before you ever worry about the behavior of their day-to-day. And so to kind of help us put this uh, into perspective, kind of help us uh, follow through with this, uh, I've actually asked, or he volunteered, actually, one of our, volu- or one of our staff members, Jacob Gonzalez, is coming up, uh, and he is going to share with us uh, essentially a little bit about how these truths and principles have played out uh, in his own life and experience. And so, uh, you know, I think we can... Uh, uh, oh, flu, I'm sorry. All right, but we, we see uh, essentially, you know, these things are... Oh, they can be easy to talk about. Sorry, I'm falling apart. Uh, what am I saying? Okay, it's easy to talk about, uh, but, you know, it can be difficult to really think about, like, okay, well, how does this really play out in my life? So, Jacob is here. He's going to share with us a little bit. I think it's going to be super helpful. Uh, we've talked a little bit beforehand, so we have some questions, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Anything. So, howdy. howdy. Yeah, so why are you here? Let's right, cut to so, it. Yeah, yeah. So something that I have... Oh, yeah, my name is Jacob. Yeah. Uh, something I've struggled with for many years and continue to struggle with is same-sex attraction. That means I am attracted to men. Now, I know what a lot of you guys are thinking right now, and that's, um, where did you get your haircut? Because that's yeah, pretty nice. That's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why I'm here this morning. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so Jacob's been on staff with us for a year and a half, uh, and this is something that we've gotten to talk about, and Jacob's had a really uh, incredible perspective. He's not the only staff member uh, that we've worked with, honestly, in our college ministry who, who struggles with same-sex attraction, um, but I think Jacob's been really instrumental in helping us kind of uh, examine, like, how, how do we walk well with these people, especially in our, you know, continually changing culture? How do we love people well, uh, even when they're in something that we would see as habitually sinful, okay? So uh, when you uh, started to feel this attraction, like, wh- where did it start? Like, kind of, wh- when did you realize that you were attracted to guys? Yeah, so I would say that started actually as early as middle school and throughout high school, college, even now, and that's kind of ironic because even through that process, I had girlfriends in high school and middle school, or middle school and high school. And I actually lost my virginity to my girlfriend in uh, junior year of high school. And we would continue to have sex uh, for like the next two years. And yeah, a little more background story about me is like I was bullied a lot as, well, not a lot, but like there were like subtle jokes thrown my way about like, oh, this guy's like flamboyant we can tell he's gay. And then so I always had these thoughts kind of in the back of my mind. 
And then so to counter that, what I did was um, I actually cheated on my girlfriend in high school because I thought, oh, I'm definitely a manly man if I'm able to cheat on my girlfriend with her best friend. And then so already here we see um, breaking the limits uh, of what God wants for us. And uh, there's already like harm like to myself and then to these other women. Yeah. So in that mix, uh, were you a believer? Like when did you... Like, were you raised in the church? Like, did you have any understanding or had you accepted kind of the gospel at, at that point? Like, what, when, yeah. at what point did the gospel really land true yeah. in your heart? So for me, I did grow up in the church, going to church most okay. Sundays, and I actually accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior uh, my freshman year of high school, which is like kind of before this downhill yeah. battle started. Yeah. So uh, you so you become a believer. You had, the, there's the season where you just kind of, for whatever reason, all these different circumstances. You went down this other path, right? Just a, uh, sleeping with your girlfriend and her best friend. Man, yeah, people hissed you for that one. That was right. <laughs> Eleven's a little judgy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you came into college, and what changed? Yeah, so once uh, my girlfriend and I had broken up at this time, um, and in college, whenever like Jacob was talking about, like unlimited, like there's no limits. I was not under the authority of my parents as much just because I'm living in a different town. And that's whenever I like downloaded a dating app and then I began to like experiment with um, homosexual relationships and uh, that was something that I would continue to do for the next couple of years. Yeah, so the first few years of college. Um, so when you were walking through them, that's when we met. So we met your, wait, did we nail this down the first earth? Was it sophomore year? Sophomore. Okay. Sophomore year. Uh, when we, uh, or like, so in the mix of all that, like, uh, were you, was there conviction? Like, did you have like anything within you? Was God like speaking to you through people or his word or just in your heart of like, did you, did you have a sense of it being wrong or outside of God's design or anything like that? Yeah. So something I didn't mention beforehand though, is whenever I was sleeping around with my girlfriend, all of my best friends in high school at the time were also sleeping with their girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. And they would also count themselves as Christians. Like, they would say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Uh, so, yeah, have that going on in the background. And I also justified that by saying, like, I could marry this girl one day. And then, so, going into college, when um, I did have conviction. Uh, but my thought process in that moment is, I want to have fun right now, and I'll worry about the consequences later. And what I didn't realize is that, like, what happens to your brain, like, chemically, and then just, like, how we're built, like, we're, like, built to, like, be, like, addicted to things, um, that that would actually be much harder to rewire. And then so friends that I've had in college who struggle with this, who didn't give in to this temptation, are far, far better off than I am right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, it's so similar to what we talked about last week. Um, yeah, the way that we're wired is just, it, like, Charlie was talking about the the larger pathways, the, the higher tolerance, you need more and more um, the bonding involved. Anyway, uh, so you're building that muscle, kind of building that uh, behavioral addiction, so to speak. Um, so what, what brought it to a close? Like what, what stopped you acting on those affection desires, even though you still feel the, you still feel the attraction? What, what kind of catalyzed, what, what changed you into saying like, I mean, I don't want to act on these, on these feelings? Yeah, so for me, freshman, sophomore year, I would continue to go to church on and off, but I was never consistent because I felt like a hypocrite going to church. I just felt like really guilty uh, going to church on Sundays and then 
living a completely different life that doesn't represent Jesus. And so what I did was I actually signed up to volunteer in the back um, doing sound and slides because I knew that if I was coming to church every single week, I would hear the word and that God would be doing a work in my heart. So I think they even like made up a position for me to be able to volunteer here, which is pretty cool. And then with that, like I was saying earlier, that my community, like no matter where you are, you're in a community. In the community I was in before in high school, that they would claim to be Christians, but they weren't like being obedient to God's word. Yeah. And then so in college, once I like started getting more involved, I signed up like to get involved in small groups. And that's wherever I started being familiarized with Christians who actually want to pursue God's will and his plan for their life. And then so that's whenever I started seeing uh, people who waited until marriage to have sex. And that was an idea that was so foreign to me. I thought that was something that just like my great grandparents did or something. I didn't know that people were still like doing that today, which is I was just like unaware and then so, yeah, being more familiarized, um, being in a solid Christian community, yeah. I signed up, like, to volunteer with Breakaway, being in, like, just, like, a guy's organization, and uh, seeing how men should pursue the Lord is what, what really did it for me. That's great. So exposure to God's truth, uh, encouragement from Christ-focused community. So you're just saying, so it kind of was just sort of a process, rather than, like, there wasn't necessarily a moment where you're like, well, I've ran over a dog, and I had, I had uh, sorry. Yeah, it was Blue. never, I'll, I'll save you, I'll save you. Yeah, there was never, like. <laughs> I was trying to think of some moment that, like, make you stop. Yeah, there was never that saw, You dropped Paul, a glass Damascus in your kitchen, yeah, I don't know. Moment okay. yeah, of, yeah, like, yeah. just, yeah. like, stopping. For me, it was actually much more gradual. Yeah. It was never, like, hmm, which man am I going to choose today, this good-looking man or Jesus Christ? It was never, like, A, B option. Yeah. It was more of, like, as I pursue God and his will, everything else just faded in the background. And that's, and that's how it That's great. Worked. So when you were professing, professing believer, right, coming, you were coming here. You were part of our community here at Grace. Uh, but still pursuing, right, uh, homosexual relationships. Uh, what would have been the best way for someone to point you towards truth? As somebody saying, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're living in this way kind of outside of God's design, what it would have been helpful? Because I know that for a lot of us, um, for three-fourths of the room, you know, one of the reasons Jacob volunteered to kind of share with us this morning is because we recognize, you know, there's, there's an incredible need. There's a number of us who, who have these experiences, right, have these struggles. Um, there's a huge number of us who uh, have at least a friend or a family member, right, someone close to us that, that's struggling, that's in engaging with this attraction, trying to, maybe they're wrestling with it, or maybe they're just like great with it. Um, but either way, you know, if, if those people are believers, like how, how would you recommend, like what would be the best way for someone to approach them uh, in that? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's also not the easiest question to answer because yep. it is difficult, especially whenever like we love people. And like you were saying with believers, if a person is not a believer, I don't think this should be your first concern. I think your first concern should be their relationship with Jesus Christ. However, if you are dealing with someone who is a professing Christian, then what I would do, and this is, this is straight from Scripture, so if you guys are writing, taking notes, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Galatians 6 is, like I think, one of the best ways of how we should respond to this. Yeah. And so it goes into saying, like, first, you need, to be, you need to be prayerful about that person and the situation. Uh, you need to come into it, like, humbly and not just, like, 
oh, this is inconveniencing me. I don't like it, so that's why I want you to change. Your motivation should be you, would, you want them to pursue God in his will. So with that, uh, what Galatians chapter 6 says is that whenever you're approaching this person, approach them gently. And I love the message translation says, like, saving your criticisms for yourself. Like, don't, that's not the time to be harsh. So what, how I would approach the person is I would be like, hey, Jacob, I'm telling you this because I love you and I care for you. And there are some things that I've noticed that um, are, they're just concerns I have. Do you mind if I share those with you? And this is because I love you, and I hope you would share these concerns that you have for myself with me yeah. if, uh, if you were to notice them. So could I share those concerns with you? And then, yeah, asking for permission. And if they say yes, then I would go in to say, well, I've noticed whenever you're doing X, Y, and Z that I think that that's maybe not what's best for you, and uh, that's maybe not the plan God wants for you and uh, see how they respond, and then what you can tell them and say is, like, no way, shape, or form am I trying to say that I'm perfect. I'm, do, I'm telling, bringing this to your attention because I love you. And then that moment, then ask them if you can, like, walk through that with them and, uh, and pray with them through that process. Yeah. So let it be the beginning of a continued conversation and relationships, not just like, okay, here's your problems. Bye. Uh, that's great. So... Anything else? Any, any other kind of just like final thought, encouragement, tip, trick? What do you think? Yeah, last, last few things. First and foremost, I think it's important to remember that the Bible is God's word to us, that it is authoritative and it's still applicable and it is still relevant. It is not outdated. It is still good today in 2019 for college students. It's not just for your great-grandparents. Sure. Second is, uh, this is something that I still struggle with and Something that I used to pray is like, God, please make me straight. Like, that would be my prayer. But I think a more helpful prayer for anyone with, in, in their whole, like, no matter what their sin struggle is, is to every day pray that God would tune your heart and your mind to see his people how he does. And that your thoughts, words, actions towards others would be glorifying to him. Yeah. And then I think whenever, you're, like, you pursue God and his will, everything else falls into place. Yeah. Lastly is if this is something that you struggle with or maybe there's another sin in your life, I want to encourage you to confess to someone. Uh, what Satan wants to do is to make you feel isolated and like you're the only one that's struggling with this, and that's far from the truth. And that's with any sin. Satan wants to just isolate you. So I would encourage you, um, if, if you want to reference the Scripture, it's James chapter 5, to confess to someone. And then if you're on the receiving end of that, that's not the time to condemn, to condemn them, but it's the time to pray for them. And um, again, if you're on the receiving end, I, I think the best way uh, to respond. And also, this is not the easiest thing to talk uh, to you guys about because last night I actually shared this with some family members that I love very much who I thought that uh, they just had the right to know. And um, they, they're people who love me so much and they love Jesus probably even more than I do. Uh, but their response wasn't like the best ever. Uh, they were saying that this was like, um, the worst thing, it's disgusting, and it, it just made me feel really bad. And I think a good way to respond would be to, um, to thank them for sharing with you and, and being courageous through that, and then to pray for them, um, not condemning them. And um, in that moment, uh, whenever I told this family member, they were saying that um, this is the worst thing and that uh, it's almost like unforgivable. And that was a perfect time for me to lean into them and share with them the gospel that um, all sin, all the wages of sin is death for all sin, period. 
But through Jesus' uh, sacrifice for us, like his blood is sufficient to cover even homosexuality and all sins. Yeah, that's everything. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I think, right, you recognize that those people still love you and they want what's best. They just didn't know how to respond. Yeah, definitely, moment. you have to approach them like graciously, yeah. knowing that people aren't perfect, so you shouldn't expect a perfect response. Yeah, that's great. Well, man, I, I appreciate you sharing with us, being honest. Um, you know, we're, we're going to enter back into worship, and I would just encourage you to uh, take this time to really be honest with the Lord, like to confess with Him, God, these are, these are areas where maybe I'm, I'm stepping outside of your limits, and maybe it's uh, something sexual. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something completely different. Uh, but I trust that, I mean, if we open ourselves up to the conviction of the Spirit, I mean, God is good to discipline the children that He loves, to show us where we're in the wrong. So, I mean, I, I, I just, yeah, I appreciate your time, man, and uh, I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, we are just grateful for the way that you have spoken to us this morning, God, through your word, Lord, through your people like Jacob, Lord, we just, we ask that uh, we would respond to this truth uh, well. And God, that we would sing uh, confident that you love us. And God, that we would uh, be able to stand and, and reject the, the feelings of shame or, or guilt that, that follow us around. God, when in reality we've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. So if you would, just t- I would encourage you to take a moment now and just confess to God. Say, God, this is where I am. Lord, this is, this is the hard conversation I think I need to have uh, with a friend. God, I need to step towards them gently in love and, and just ha- open dialogue about an issue in their life. Or, or God, I need to step towards someone and have a hard conversation where I just need to confess something. For all of you, I'd, I'd encourage you, even during this worship, we, we'll have volunteers at the back of the room that uh, you can pray with. I would love to pray with you. Uh, if during these last couple of songs, if, if you feel led, man, we'd, we'd love to encourage you in that way to pray as, as Jacob was saying from James 5, that, that man, the, the prayer that we have for one another, it's, it's powerful. And so take this time, take a moment, say, God, this is where I am. God, confess the state of your heart, and then ask him, God, increase my trust in you so that I can step into this situation, into this conversation, Lord, just trusting that you are good and that you want what's best and that you prove this through Jesus Christ. Take this moment and pray that now.